The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 18th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to them. Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Like I mentioned at the start of the service, a theme is coming together. The children singing, us all singing Jesus Loves Me, the gospel lesson, in our praying, in our proclamation, in our singing, we are viewing things this morning from the perspective of a child, from a, from a child even as young as one to be described by the physician, St. Luke, as an infant. Even infants were brought to him. Now let me say directly to our young children, it's a little harder now that you guys are all back with your families, you know. It was so great when you were all right here. But young children, especially those who were just singing here, you matter a great deal to God and to all of us in your church family. Your perspective is important. Your thoughts, your feelings are important to us. This is not a place where children are to be seen and not heard. You can ask your parents what that means later. Sometimes people think that what really matters in church is the ability to think rightly and communicate clearly. And those are things that, you know, are good generally to have, you know, for a person in the pulpit preaching. That's, you know, nice. That makes the sermons easier to listen to. But sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that those things are really the true markers of Christian maturity across the board. But Christian maturity is actually best exemplified by those who are least mature in the eyes of the world, according to the Lord Jesus, anyway. And by that I mean little children. St. Thomas Aquinas, who is uh, known for writing a book called like the Summa Theologiae, it's like huge. I mean, it's like a home defense tool, but that doubles as a theology book, super dense. I gave up trying to read all of it. Don't tell my seminary professors that, but he has this quote. I mean, he's known as being super smart, super intellectual. In the Roman Catholic Church, he's considered a doctor of the church. 
And he says this, human reason is very deficient in things concerning God. A sign of this is that philosophers in their researches by natural investigation into human affairs have fallen into many errors and have disagreed among themselves. And consequently, in order that men might have knowledge of God free of doubt and uncertainty, it was necessary for divine matters to be delivered to them by way of faith. Right, as opposed to philosophy, as opposed to our reason, exploring all of these things. These divine matters are delivered to us by way of faith, as it were, being told to them by God himself, who cannot lie. And Jesus makes this point in this morning's gospel lessons with two things that seem distinct, but are closely related. Did you catch that? There are two episodes, two, little, two separate things that happen in the gospel lesson. The first is this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. But then the second is the let the children come to me thing. And those seem distinct, but they're actually very closely related. The point of the first is all who lift themselves up will be brought low, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And the point of the second is whoever does not receive the kingdom of God in this humility, like a little child, won't receive it at all. If you want to follow along in the text for the gospel lesson, you can do so on the back of your bulletin. The thing with the Pharisee and the tax collector, I think, is best seen by contrasting the descriptions between them. So the Pharisee is popular and well-liked. Again, we hear Pharisees in the church today and we think, oh, they're just stooges. They're villains. But they were the orthodox religious um, kind of authorities. They were well-liked. They were influential in society. Tax collectors, on the other hand, were despised for the most part. They're usually mentioned separately from sinners and people of ill repute and tax collectors. Like, they have their own category. The Pharisee was devoted to religious and spiritual matters. The Pharisee was devoted, or the tax collector was devoted to collecting everyone's money. The Pharisee was seen generally as a boost to society. The tax collector was a drag on society. The Pharisee prays such that he's seen praying. That phrase, he takes his stand by himself. That's like walking into the temple grounds and um, kind of just standing right out in the middle where everybody can see. And then he prays. And it was customary, even during private prayers, for the Jewish people to pray audibly so that so people could see him, people could even probably hear him praying, saying things like, God, I thank you that I'm not like the rest of these people. Yikes. The tax collector, on the other hand, he prays far off. He doesn't even lift his eyes to heaven, and he beats his chest. And the only other time that Luke mentions this beating of the chest, beating of the breast, is at the crucifixion of Jesus when people see what had happened to the Lord in grief as, as an expression of the injustice of it all, they do the same thing. The Pharisee prays at length. The tax collector prays simply. The Pharisee mentions others only in order to justify himself, whereas the tax collector doesn't mention anyone but himself. And the Pharisee, finally, he references his own spiritual practices. He says, I, I do the fasting twice a week like we're supposed to. I go above and beyond with tithing. But the tax collector, he owns his sin. 
You notice the Pharisee asks God for nothing. He doesn't say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But that's all that the tax collector says. The point here is that God hears and answers the prayer of the humble, but despises the proud. The guy on paper who, yeah, of course God hears his prayer. He's devout. His whole life is, to, is, is about religious matters, and he's an expert in the law, and look at how spiritual he is and everything like that. There was pride, something ugly and sick in his heart. And God did not listen to those prayers. But the one despised by society, the one not well-liked, not very spiritual perhaps, maybe even afraid to come in all the way into the temple grounds, God heard that prayer. And that guy went back down to his house justified. Now we come to let the children come to me. Luke 18, 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Luke says even infants. Remember, Luke is a medical professional. He's emphatic here that parents were bringing their very young children to Jesus. Younger than the kids who just sang here for us. This word is translated as infants. Right? If you're familiar with my family, I have four young children, and only the youngest of mine is on the older edge of this category of brefa, young, very young kids, infants. They're bringing their babies to Jesus. Luke uses this word elsewhere in his gospel, mostly in the beginning, where there's a lot of talk about babies. The baby leaping in Elizabeth's womb when she hears the greeting of Mary. Jesus, uh, the, 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 described as the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. It's the same word here. They're bringing their babies to Jesus to be blessed by him. And the disciples see it and they rebuke them. Now, the parents at least thought that Jesus' grace was for their babies too. The disciples, on the other hand, rebuked the parents and they tried to stop them. And what motivated them exactly? We don't really know. But perhaps they thought the children were a distraction from more important things that Jesus had to do. He had to heal sick people. He had to teach. He had to have more showdowns with the religious leaders. We don't really know. Excuse me. What we know is that they tried to put an end to all of this baby nonsense, bringing the kids to Jesus. And Jesus called them to him and said, let the children come to me. This word translated called them to him. This is like when you are summoned into the presence of an authority. Jesus said, guys. Or, hey, guys. You know, they're, they're trying to do crowd control. And maybe he whistles or maybe he gets their attention or, or he tells Peter and then Peter rounds everyone up and he's like, get over here. And he tells them, stop it. Let them come. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. And anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of heaven like one of these will not enter it. Jesus doesn't ask them to 
step it up or do better or arrange an orderly line or to sift through the crowd to determine um, which kids can make a credible profession of faith before they are allowed to come and receive the grace of Jesus publicly, before he'll say that the kingdom of God belongs to them. He doesn't say, ah, they can't, they can't say they have faith in me. They can't repent of their sins. So we just don't really know. So I'm not going to say that the kingdom is open to them. That is not at all what Jesus does. He says, let them come. The kingdom belongs to them. And he uses the more generic word for children here, paideia. Let all these children come to me and do not hinder them. The disciples thought the children were hindering Jesus' ministry of ushering in God's kingdom, but they were the ones who were actually hindering the progression of God's kingdom on earth. The kingdom belongs to children who come to Jesus. How can this be? Don't you have to understand what Jesus is saying in order to accept it? Don't you have to be lucid and be able to respond? Don't you have to be reasonably mature to to have faith, at least for the rest of us to believe that you have faith? How can you understand sin and salvation as a child or even as an infant? How, How is it possible that the kingdom can belong to them? Here's why. Because whoever receives the kingdom of God must enter it by faith and not by intellect or by reason. We're going about this all wrong if we're looking for mature, rational expressions of faith as evidence of, well, faith. Dr. Martin Luther, in a sermon on infant baptism, has some quite spicy quotes about this. He says, adults grasp the word with their ears and reason but often without faith. Little children hear it with their ears, without reason, and with faith. Faith is all the closer, the less reason there is. The faith which brings them to baptism is stronger than the will of adults who come themselves. And later he says, what troubles those who would prevent infants or children from coming to baptism most is that in adults there is reason which acts as if it believes the word it hears. They call that believing. On the other hand, they see that in children there is as yet no reason, for they act as if they do not believe. For they do not see that faith in God's word is a much different and deeper thing than what reason does with God's word. I'm going to read that sentence again. Faith in God's word is a different and much deeper thing than what reason does with God's word. Faith is God's work alone, beyond all reason. The child is closer than the adult. Yes, much closer. And the adult is farther away than the child. Yes, much farther away. In order to enter the kingdom of heaven at all, friends, we must do it as children do, by faith. You are not now, after decades of walking as a Christian on this earth, more able to enter into the kingdom of heaven because you have done more Bible studies, because you have attended church for longer, because you have memorized the catechism and you've moved on to the large catechism. Your entrance into the kingdom of heaven is as sure as it was when God created faith in your heart in the waters of baptism. And you have not added anything to it. I don't mean for that to sound disappointing. I mean for us to understand how great the work is that God has done for us. Faith says what the tax collector said. God, I am a sinner in need of your mercy. 
granted to me for the sake of Jesus Christ. And let me ask you, does that sound familiar? Does that kind of prayer sound like something we do every Sunday? Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. And we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done, by what we have left undone. Our liturgy helps us pray the prayers that God hears. When we come together, every time we gather, we are being formed into Christ-likeness. Now, in opposition to all of this is the approach of the Pharisee, the one to whom, at least on paper, right, the kingdom of heaven was definitely open to the Pharisee. If it's not open to that guy, who is it open to? Well, he checked all the right boxes. He was pious. He was devout. And yet Jesus never held up the Pharisees as positive examples. In fact, if you're familiar with the Gospels, again and again and again, he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, teachers of the law. You lay heavy burdens upon people and don't lift a finger to relieve them. Jesus calls out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees again and again. What Jesus requires of those who would receive the kingdom is that they receive it humbly by faith. Adults, I'm up here. We have a hard time with this for the reasons Dr. Luther mentioned. There's faith there, by the way. There's faith in the child who gets up and runs out of the room. We have a hard time with this, adults, for the reasons Dr. Luther mentioned. We see a matured intellect handling the word of God. We're like, man, look at that guy's faith. Look at her faith. You hear how she talks about scripture. You hear how he preaches. And we just assume that what a mature, human, able-bodied, you know, well-developed adult can do with God's word, like that is faith. That's evidence of faith. And the implication there is that faith is less certain, the less of that kind of thing that you can see. But what I'm saying to you this morning is that it's not necessarily true that muscling our way through a Bible reading plan proves that we have faith. It's not necessarily true that regular attendance at Bible studies proves our faith. It's not necessarily true that the ability to explain difficult texts demonstrates or proves our faith. The ability to generally speak as an adult about our faith. Does that prove our faith? Satan knows scripture very well, and he shudders. It was with words of scripture that Satan tempted the Lord Jesus in the wilderness. To speak as an adult, to handle the word of God skillfully, is not necessarily evidence of faith. If we want to be reminded of what faith looks like, we must look to our children. Because in them we more clearly see humble faith in God's word. Because Jesus says that faith is present in the heart well before reason and intellect are matured enough to express it, it means this. It means that the kingdom of heaven is open to infants and children, yes, but it's also open to those with developmental disabilities. The kingdom of heaven is open to those who suffered traumatic brain injuries, whose personalities have changed whose ability to express faith has changed. The kingdom of heaven is open to those with Alzheimer's, with Parkinson's, with Huntington's, with brain cancer, or any other neurodegenerative disease 
that slowly erodes a person's ability to speak about, to confess, to express the faith that they had in their earlier years. And the kingdom of heaven is still open to people. This is good news for those among us who desire to trust God but still have questions. Right? Having to admit that you don't have all the answers doesn't mean that you don't have faith. Jesus has made a way so that we don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to be able to explain everything. You know, in my little black book for pastoral care, when I go and visit the sick or at someone's deathbed, there's a a whole liturgy of, of prayers and singing and readings that can be done when a person is unresponsive. And that is not done in vain. We just don't know what someone is hearing when they're unresponsive. We don't know what they're seeing. They very well may have one foot in the next world and one foot still here. It's not in vain to share scripture, to pray, to sing with people who are not able to respond to that. Those who are sick, those who are children, babies, God's word does work. We can leave here today knowing that Jesus has bridged the divide between us and the Father. Not because we can explain it. Not because we can point to mature intellect. But because God has created that faith in our hearts. Beyond our ability to explain And what he also does in our hearts is guard them and our minds with the peace of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. Amen.